I'm so glad you're here today. If you're joining us online, you're on the floor, you're up in the balcony, I'm delighted that you're here. It is good to be together. If you heard all the hubbub in the building today, it's because we have 74 students who have come for our one winter weekend retreat. We have, yeah, that's, that's awesome. <clears throat> 74 kids, I think 24 adult leaders, which is awesome. I mean, that, think about that. Adults who have given up their weekend to be with our kids. That's awesome. We've had, we've had some small groups uh, do breakfast for them and all that. And I heard, uh, I heard from TJ, our student pastor, that last night we know that at least four kids have put their faith in Christ. So let's celebrate that. <clears throat> And I know there are more stories to come. And, and part of what they've really been dealing with is what does it mean to be in Christ? You know, when, when you have a world that is telling kids, I mean, it's, I could, I could do the whole sermon today around kids, but think of all the messages that our kids hear, that they're not worthy, that they're not acceptable, and to find their identity in Christ. That's what it's about. The song that we sang earlier, Who You Say I Am, that has been the theme song really for this time together. So we're going to celebrate that and I say thank you because when these things happen, it's a church win, it's a team win. When you give financially to our church, that gives us the means to do these kinds of things and help our kids who call CCG home grow in their faith, but also to reach out into our community. We have kids who are bringing kids, and kids who are bringing kids who are bringing their families, and that is awesome to see. So let's keep that up. God has great things in store for us. We're going to dig into the Word, but uh, let's take a minute and let's pray for our students. Father, we come to you today, and first of all, we say thank you. Thank you that you have brought so many kids into our building today, yesterday, Friday, to hear the gospel, to know that their identity is in you. We thank you that they have not just heard about your love, but they have experienced your love through the body of Christ. We thank you for those, those four who have put their faith and their trust in you. We thank you for steps that have already been taken. We pray that there would be more. We pray that as they wrap up this morning that the seeds that have been planted would grow. Give our leaders, give them energy. May this not just be one moment in time, but may this be a time that leads to more steps of faith. Father, as we dig into your word this morning. I pray that my words are clear, that they're helpful, and above all, that they bring you glory and honor and ask that you burn off whatever doesn't do those things. Holy Spirit, be our teacher today. It's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. My question for you this morning, do you like to be right. 
Whenever there's a conflict, do you like to be right? As I was thinking back, when I was a, when I was a kid, my mom and dad, they had, a, they had a 69 Nova. Some of you can picture that. My dad thought it was brown. My mom thought it was army green. I don't think they've ever resolved that. The car's long since gone. Do you like to be right? I remember a time I was refinishing a desk and putting it in one of our kids' rooms. And I said, oh, I've worked construction for three summers. I know this desk will fit in this room. My beautiful wife, Kim, says, no, it will not fit. I said, it will fit. Guess who was right? I am spatially challenged. (laughs) But sometimes right can be a matter of perception. Sometimes right is an objective truth. She was right and I was wrong. I can count on one hand the number of times that's happened in our marriage. Wrong. (laughs) But we all like to be right. We have this desire to be right. We like to be right about trivial things. But more important than that, what does it mean to be right before God? What does it mean to be right before God? The Bible's going to use a word called justify that we'll hint at a little bit today, but that's one of the themes, one of the big questions in the book of Romans. What does it mean to be right before God? Now, the answer to that question is found in the gospel. A couple weeks ago, we we defined the gospel as the, the good news that Jesus defeated sin and death and rescues all who believe in him. Now, we like the rescue part. We love singing about grace. Can I get an amen? How many of you absolutely love talking about sin? That's what we're going to do today. So welcome to Community Church, if this is your first time. We're going to dig into sin Because that is a critical part of the gospel. We all like to be right. Let's see how we do today. So, a couple couple things to consider as we dig into the passage. Uh, There are really two movements in the message this morning. You know, first of all, we're going to look at a, a handful of verses that help us see who God is. So how do you see God? How do you see God? And then we'll turn the eyes on ourselves here in a minute. So let's start with how do we see God? That matters. How we see God through his word matters. One of the things that we really value as a church is we think that to grow you need to see God clearly. We need to understand him through his word. We we need to understand that theological landscape. 
Brad talked about the class I'll be teaching on Wednesday, just a, another word for that. That's what that will be about. In a, word that, in a world that is full of conflict and confusion and chaos, the clarity of the gospel is more important than ever. So let's begin with what is it about God that we can see here? So I'm going to walk you through the passage and then we'll make some application. Let's go to verse 1. Then what advantage has the Jew or what is the value of circumcision? Uh, Pastor Gary did a wonderful job leading us through chapter 2 of Romans. And, And one of the questions that they're dealing with, Paul is writing to the church at Rome. And that church is full of both Jewish Christians, those who knew all the traditions, all the law, all those things, and Gentile Christians, non-Jews, who had a different background. And part of the conflict is, what does it mean to be right before God? And where does that history fit in? Where does that identity as a Jew fit in? And why does this matter, and why are we even talking about it today? I think it's really important, and you'll see why here in a second. Let's go to verse 2. Much in every way. So again, what's the advantage of being a Jew? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Now, oracles is a, it's kind of a deep word uh, that really means the words of God. The commands of God, the promises of God. So think of a Jewish audience steeped in the Hebrew Scriptures, what we know as the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. We could go back and we could talk all the way back. We could talk about God's promise to Abraham that I will will make you a great nation. And those tribes would grow up. They would multiply all this thing, big story of the Bible. Go back to Moses, setting the the people free, going up on Mount Sinai, receiving the Ten Commandments, and on and on it goes. And then we would have prophets who would come in and say, you know what? You have failed. When you look at the Old Testament, so much of the story is a story of a failure to meet God's standard. But in in that, in the midst of that failure, we would also see hope. We would also see hope. Just going to read this quickly from Jeremiah 31, 34, or 31, 31 to 34. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. So we have an unfaithful people 
who have broken commandments, but yet there is a promise of hope. Now let's continue. In the midst of this, verse 3, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means, let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. As it is written, where is this written? This is Psalm 51.4. If you're a Bible study graduate and you know the Scriptures, this is Psalm 51. This is David's prayer of con- Psalm of Confession after committing adultery and murder and all these things. This is a confession. But in this big story of the Bible, even David, the one who was a man after God's own heart, has not met the standard. But if our righteousness, verse 5, serves to show the righteousness of If our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means, for then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. Two points to consider here. As we try to see God clearly, number one, we see that God's faithfulness in the story of the Bible is not dependent upon the faithfulness of his people. God is faithful. (laughs) As a people, we have been unfaithful. Let our picture of God be clear and not seen through the lens of our own unfaithfulness. But secondly, there's this little argument in here, and we'll come back to it later in Romans, but it's kind of like this. If, if, hey, my sin somehow brings about more grace, why not just go the whole hog and keep sinning? part of the argument. That's part of what Paul was responding to at the time. People were actually doing that. Not that that would ever happen today. I get a free pass. I know that no matter what I do, I will be saved. Therefore, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. That's what some people were accusing. Let's keep going. Let's look at verse 9, which is we're going to shift to how God sees us. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. Again, when Paul says we Jews, Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was a teacher of teachers. Paul knew the law. Paul was the one who had actually persecuted the early church, who thought this whole Jesus movement, this upstart thing, was blasphemy and set out to persecute. It was not until he had an encounter with Christ himself, that he would believe. No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. 
as it is written. Now, we're going to go back, and I'm going to give you a list. This is the beautiful part of the sermon. This is the let's hold the mirror up to ourselves and see where we are on this list. This is no fun. Looking inside is no fun. But we need to do it. Because that's part of the gospel. First of all, none is righteous. No, not one. This is our legal standing. I want to be right. You want to be right. Before God, we are not. Verse 11, no one understands. No one understands. Our minds are messed up. Do you ever try to justify yourself? Do you ever rationalize? Do you ever compartmentalize? Do you ever twist things? No one understands. No one seeks for God. This is our motives. This is our why we do what we do. This is not just the external. This is the internal. Verse 12, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Notice the comprehensiveness of this. This is our will. This is the CEO of ourself. This is our decision maker. All have turned aside. We have gone the wrong way. Are we having fun yet? Verse 13. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps. An asp is a snake is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. This is our tongues, our words. Our words that have been like venom, that hurt, that destroy. Words of contempt. I think of Jesus for just a second, and Jesus would say, look, You've heard it said this. And he'd go back to the, the Ten Commandments. You know the Sixth Commandment, thou shalt not commit murder. This is Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew 5. But I tell you, anyone who has, has this, this word raka, this word of contempt for his brother or sister, you have committed murder in your heart. Jesus is always looking at the inside. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already done so in his heart. There's an inside that matters here. Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruined in misery, and the way of peace they have not known are relationships with each other have been affected by sin. And then finally, verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. 
This is our relationship with God. There is no fear. To fear God is to see God clearly, to stand in awe before him, to see his glory, to see his majesty, to see that clearly. I'll say, no, we don't do that. We don't do that. We forget. Now we can say this is Paul and this is the book of Romans and this isn't me. Now verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Who's in the whole world? Raise your hand if you're in the whole world. (laughs) That's an inclusive, that is a comprehensive deal. Verse 20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So what does the law do? The law is a mirror. The the law is our teacher. The law says, this is how you have sinned. This is how you've sinned externally. This is how you've sinned internally. This is how you've sinned against God vertically. This is how you've sinned against God horizontally. I don't just put the video camera of my actions, but I get inside my heart and I look at it all. That's what the law does. Let's pray and go home. Let's keep going. Now, it says, no human being will be justified in his sight by the works of the law. In other words, what we do cannot justify us. What we do cannot make us right before God. I want you to think about this. I want to make this concrete for for just a second. So I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine the process of being right before God through your works I'm going to take you to some warm places right now. As if you were swimming from California to Hawaii. Anybody want to go to Cali right now? California to Hawaii, 2,500 miles. And we're going to swim. We're going to do a justification swim. I'm going to get in the water. I am not a good swimmer. Do one of those tread water tests in high school swimming and just about drown. Talked to Clay this morning. Clay was a great high school swimmer. He's going to get in the water too. And then this guy, let me show you a picture of this guy. This is uh, not the iceberg. The dude. Not that. That's later. There you go. This is Velichko Rogosic, a Croatian long-distance swimmer. He's the Guinness World Record holder in open water swimming. 140 miles without fins. 
We all start off, me and Clay and this dude. What's going to happen to each one of us? We're going to drown. I'm going to drown first, then Clay's going to drown, then Velichko's going to drown. But we're all going to drown. We are all equally lost. The effects of sin on one another may be relative to the depth of your sin, but there is no degree of lostness. We are all lost. Regardless of our pedigree, regardless of our upbringing, regardless of our heritage, regardless of our individual efforts to be good, we are lost. We are dead. We are dead at the bottom of the ocean. That, my friends, is the reality of our sin. Let that sink in for just a minute. I want you to think of your own justification swim. We're all dead. The good news of the gospel, which we always want to get to in these messages, is that Jesus has rescued us. It's the good news. That's what we celebrate when we receive communion. So we've celebrated in our singing. But I want that, those thoughts of the reality of our sin to sit on you for just a minute. Don't move too quickly from that. And as I was, you know, thinking about the message and it's like, well, you know, here we are in, you know, 50-whatever A.D. Paul's writing this letter to the church, and it seems to be there's questions that we don't care about as much today. How does it, how does it matter? Why does it matter to us today? And I think for some, it's kind of like these, some of these kids that we've celebrated. Some of you today, whether you're here or whether you're, you're, you're tuning in at home, I believe some of you have never taken that step of faith. You've never actually said, I, I can't do this on my own. You've never actually said, I'm not right. I can't make myself right before God. And maybe today it's simply responding in faith and saying, I, I believe. I believe that I can't save myself no matter what I do. I believe that. I still have questions. I still have doubts. But I'm ready to take a step of faith. And I think for others, maybe you're like me and you, you got a sneak preview of the question or the picture. But let me put that, put that old college picture up for just a second. Yeah. Look at those two. Two American kids growing up in the heartland. This is Jason and Kim. This is, here we are, just a few years ago. 21. And as, you know, we were digging out some old pictures and, and, and looking at this, and I was thinking back to myself at this time. I had prayed the prayer. I knew the truth of the gospel. 
It was even taught in this church. But yet, as I look back and I see that person, and I see those eyes, I thought I had everything right. I was relatively good compared to my knucklehead fraternity brothers. I was relatively good. I was a starting football player, thick neck. I was a good student at a great school. I was going to go to law school. A beautiful girlfriend who became my wife. I thought I had it all right. But as I look back and I see those layers of pride, there's something about those eyes in that picture. I said, I've got it all together. There were layers of trying to prove that I was right. But the reality on the inside, and maybe this is you today, I had put God in just one little compartment of my life. Just one little compartment. I was talking with one of our pastors this morning about the message, and he said, yeah, somebody told me, you know, I've, I've put, God is just kind of like my spare tire. And I only take God out when I need him. And that was me. That was me. And as I look back over the last 30 years, and, and, and in particular, you know, there were some events over the years where God would bring painful things into my life. God would bring pain into my life to let me know that I wasn't right, that I didn't have all the answers, that I needed him, and that I needed to put him at the center. So this morning, today, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge each one of you today. Our worship team, they're going to lead us in a song. And during that, during that time, I want to give you some opportunities. Some of you, as you, as you hear these words, as you, you, you think about the swim, you're tired of swimming. You're tired of trying to do this thing on your own. And it's time to understand that your own efforts are just going to put you at the bottom of the ocean. And the good news is once you get at the bottom, you can be rescued. And some of you maybe for the first time need to make that, make that commitment. Others of you today, I would simply invite you to let the Spirit convict. Let the Spirit lead you. What is your next step? What is your next step? So during the song, we have, uh, we have tables where we'll have men and women who can help you take that next step, who can pray for you. The altar is also open if you want to just come before God and pray. It's open. Because here's the deal today. There's some game on later. I don't know. You're going to go home and you're going to forget this. Some of you will. But right now, right now as we sing, be open to the Holy Spirit.